This is heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. What's going on? What's going on? We are back for another action-packed episode of Let Your Voice Be Heard. This is Stanley Fritz, your favorite engineer on the PC ones and twos. I'm here with Selena Hill with the nice pearl necklace and the good lighting. And of course, we have the problematic fave, the curly-haired mommy, the Warby Parker body baby, Tammy David. What's going on, guys? Hey. Hey, guys. Happy Sunday, fun day. Yeah, for the most part. How's it going? It was going fine until certain people on the show told me I look homeless. <laughs> Not look homeless. And I demand an apology. Literally, all we're asking is that you trim your beard because you look crazy right now. <laughs> I'm not. Oh, at this point, it's a public service. Can we get a poll going in Zoom right now? Who wants family to trim his beard? This is anti-black, and I will not take the abuse or the bullying. It's not fair. No, it's so, it, we're all adjusting to quarantine. Um, I get it, Stanley. But, I mean... Your girlfriend, Marilyn, I, you know, volunteered to help you out. You know how to touch my beard. You crazy? Why? She's not my barber. I'm not cheap. I mean, if you won't do it yourself. Well, yes, because I'm not going to. You know what? I don't have to answer to you bullies, all right? I am tired of the hurtful comments. My beard looks just fine, okay? Okay. Yeah. Beard aside, Stanley, can you introduce yourself so people know who you are beyond just raggedy? <laughs> So anyways, guys, um, my name is Stanley Fritz. I'm the engineer here on, on PC Ones and Twos, on the Zoom Live Ones and Twos and Threes. You can follow me on Twitter at Stan Fritz. You can follow me on IG at Stan Fritz. You can follow me on Snapchat, but I don't really use it, at Dark Skin Swindle. Either way, talk to me, beloveds. Hey, guys. It's Selena Hill. Um, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Miss Selena Hill. Super happy to be here. And of course, Be Her Talk is where we unpack politics, culture, and race. We do that all from our sometimes different perspectives, sometimes mostly aligned. But yeah, we do have a good time. And it's mostly unfiltered. So happy to be here. Yes. And uh, hey, everyone. My name is Tammy David. If you don't know by now, I am Be Her's problematic fave, who today is proudly proclaiming that ACAB, all cops are bastards, even your fun-loving <laughs> uncle that just wanted a stable union job to support his family. Oh. Because participating in a militarized system of terror that enforces racism and power dynamics and destabilizes the community does indeed make you a bastard. So that's my hot take for today. I think that's um, unfair for you to attack those savages like that. It's not their fault that they're not civilized and fuck the police. <laughs> Yo, you're valid, and I know we're getting into it today. So um, before we get into the main show, where we're going to unpack all of that, um, it's time for us to go through the news roundup, where we yes. hear stories that might horrify and terrify you or get you excited for the upcoming weeks and months. Um, today, we're covering the country's reopening and the latest word on another stimulus package. We're covering the latest in celebrity clownery featuring 6ix9ine and Lil Boosie. And we're going to update you on the latest versus battle between 2000's heartthrobs Nelly and Ludacris. So first, I want to start with Nelly and Ludacris because it's light and it's fun. Um, the latest in the versus saga is here. 
2000s R&B lovers had a silly good time watching them face off with some of their greatest tracks. And even though, as expected, there were some technical difficulties, they actually delivered. Like Nelly Nels and Luda delivered throwback realness, <laughs> and Luda even surprised us with some treats, like a potential album announcement and an unreleased track. So Stanley, having seen even just a couple media reactions, like social media stuff, I know you have jokes. What did you think about the battle? Yo, Nelly was drunk as hell. I don't think he knew they were having the verses. He was lit. He was lit hit. There was one point where he bent over to get another drink, and Lou was like, dog, we're on air. <laughs> Nelly lost the battle, but he won. No, actually, he's hungover today, so he, he, he didn't win the war either. But he had a good time at the battle, and that's what matters. I, I was with Nelly's energy. Like, he had that good drunk laugh. You know that laugh when you're drunk, and you know you can't do nothing about it, so everything's funny because you know you're going to be messed up the next day? That's the laugh that Nelly had. I know that <laughs> laugh. I am that laugh. Um... Stanley, you may, yes. No, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, Stanley, you should turn up your mic. Um, it's a little hard to hear you. But yeah, the battle last night was everything. It had a very slow start because, of course, Nelly's Wi-Fi was back in 2000 as well. Oh, was I mean, <laughs> like, so, and he kept blaming it on the rain. Like, they were like, oh, it's the thunder. And then he was like, no, let the, I think the thunderstorm passed over. I'm good now. So the battle really didn't start until, like, 8.45, 9. No, no, excuse me, about 7.45, 8 o'clock. Uh, but once it started, it was really good. But then Nelly kept cheating and playing unreleased records. And he was all different. He was like, oh, I got, I got one of y'all favorites. Then he put this song on. And he was like, yeah, puff. And dancing. And he was like, yeah. And we were like, in the comments, we were like, Whose favorite is this? And I left a comment. I said, Luda looked just as confused as I was. And he did that like twice. He dropped songs that it, apparently Puffy had mixed with him and Biggie and like Puff doing the ad libs. And we were like, Nelly, what are you doing, bro? Regardless, I was upset that he, he did not play his hit with Tim McGraw over and over. I was waiting for that country rap hip-hop moment okay that did not happen mood <laughs> hey stanley number two <laughs> overall okay selena who do you think won though Ludacris won for sure oh. but oh. nelly was more animated and but luda was so confident he played hit after hit and then i just want to give a shout out to avion crockett and spice adams they did the perfect spoof Literally moments after the battle ended, they spoofed the mess out of them. It was brilliant, and it was so funny. Oh, thanks for the update. I didn't see it, but these versus battles are, like, starting to become part of our history now. I feel like our kids are going to be talking about, like, the old grainy 2020 versus battles footage. So it's important that we stay on track. Um, Next up on the news story, I wanted to talk about something a little bit more serious, just because I know that we have more celebrity gossip, but I'm going to save it for the end. Um, CNN announced... Oh, Stanley, you're on mute. We can't hear you. You want to talk about how good you look today? Because you're definitely a killing it. Thank you. So, <laughs> but before... 
Fine. You know what? I'm going to shout some stuff out. The reason I look this good is because we're talking about a lot of sad stuff later in our main story. And I don't, it makes me sad that the shared collective black experience is oppression. And I think that there's so much more to blackness than sadness and so i got on my grass fields nigerian outfit and i got these earrings that say blessed because being black is blessed so thank you amen thank you for acknowledging my outfit um oh so i want to talk about the country's reopening because as of today 48 states 48 states have begun to loosen social distancing measures and end stay-at-home orders and just like all through the entire pandemic, there's a huge divide in our, in our government right now between the White House and national health officials as to what the plan should be. Selena, do you think that we're being premature in our reopening or are you like over it and excited to hear that we're returning to normal? Scientists, researchers, and medical experts say that we are being premature. And the person that's premature is Donald Trump and Republicans. They obviously, he, he is unapologetic about his agenda to get reelected, to reopen the economy, and he does not care about people dying from COVID-19. Particularly the people who are dying are black and brown. Statistics show that not only do we, are we suffering from a number of healthcare uh, disparities, that uh, have basically uh, prevented us from having access to health care and have basically led to us having more health problems, which in, um, as a result, we are the ones who are dying and being infected from COVID-19 uh, at a disproportionate rate. So the people who are going to continue to die and suffer are people who look like us. Nonetheless, Donald Trump wants to reopen so that him and the people who fund his campaign and his millionaire and billionaire friends can continue to make money while they stay home in quarantine and are safe. And I just want to say that the White House has gone through stringent measures to make sure that anyone who comes in contact with the president and his administration are, are not tested positive. They literally have implemented a strategy so that you can be tested and you can receive results within minutes. However, we found out that those tests aren't 100% accurate, but we can, we can already see how the resources are being distributed so that people on the top and people in power, and of course these people happen to be white men, they are the ones who are being protected so that their communities are protected. Once they reopen these schools and businesses, what's gonna happen is you're gonna have a number of asymptomatic people carrying this virus back to the most vulnerable in our communities. That's the elderly, that's the ones with diabetes, hypertension, et cetera, and that's why we're gonna die. Man, it's true, honestly bars, because the health officials are saying that one of the things we need for a safe reopening is to dramatically expand testing capabilities. And what you're saying about people in contact with the president getting access to that kind of fast, accurate testing, it just shows that they don't really care about like science or getting it done the right way. But I will say though, you're saying that it's, basically Trump and Republicans, which I agree with on a national scale, but I wanna to turn to Stanley for this one because you're someone who works on statewide policies. And even though Cuomo has been kind of really the hardest, I think, in the country to go about social distancing measures after California, of course, 
How do you feel that New York State is reopening? Because they've reopened five out of 10 counties already. Well, just one quick pushback. That was strange. One quick pushback. Governor has not been one of the strongest. Actually, it's been California and Ohio who have done it the best. Um, then San Francisco and California. The governor has actually been pretty bad and slow to the party to take care of it. So far, a few counties have opened up and those counties have had uh, like some of the smallest impacts on COVID. And I think as long as we're doing some social dis distancing, that is fine. Like there has to be a process to reopen. It has to be slow. It has to be deliberate. I think the difference between New York and Texas and Florida is that Texas just opened up everything again. And now they have 1,300 new cases as of yesterday. Florida, same thing. Georgia, same thing. They opened up the whole state and they did it so that they wouldn't have to pay people unemployment. That's why they did it. And I have a lot of problems with Governor Cuomo and a lot of problems with the way that he's handled this outbreak and the way that he has not looked to censor poor people at all, the way that he refuses to raise taxes on the rich, the way that he cut funding to hospitals and Medicaid as this was happening. But this, this opening, the way he's trying to open the state up, I don't have a problem with. Fair enough. Fair enough. To be honest, I'm a little bit anxious about it, but I, I don't see any other way to get back to normal. Like we have to start reopening slowly. It just really concerns me when national health experts are saying, hey, you're doing this the wrong way. Please stop and listen to us because we will help you figure it out. And our national government is like, no, nah, we don't care. Let's get this bread. Well, yeah, I mean, like, and you can tell the places that they're not listening to the scientists because it's called white Republican men run those states. They, yeah. Texas didn't listen to the scientists. Florida didn't listen to the scientists. North Dakota didn't listen to the scientists. So they're going to suffer the consequences. Um, and I'm hoping that the places that suffer the consequences have a low black population and it's mostly the white folks because if that's what you want to vote for, that's what you can get. But, you know, we're going to be in this mess until a real solid vaccine comes out. And then with the way the government has run things, I wouldn't feel comfortable taking the vaccine. So who knows how long we'll be in this mess. Um, so just to add on to that, so uh, recent studies came out and they showed that had we not had social, uh, social distancing practices in place, millions more people would have been affected, which would have resulted in more people dying. The fact that they want to lift and relax the lockdowns and, uh, and lift and relax social distancing measures, again, it is 100% premature. There are other countries who have shut down for their entire year. Like, I don't, I, science has also shown that, like, it's, it's going to take, what, 18 months to get a vaccine? What are, we, what are we in the rush to do? Like, I don't understand why we are in a rush to return to something that can be very dreadful. Number two, there's also, I understand that, but a second wave is coming. We are going to have a second wave in the fall or winter. What is the point of opening up for two to three months just so everyone, just so that we're going to go back to the same exact state? And the, again, the EMT workers and the essential workers who are on the front lines, again, are predominantly black, brown, also queer. So yep. I, I don't, what are we opening up for? That's it. That's it for me. It's like, we're opening up for the economy, but at the end of the day, the people making these demands are not on the front lines. 
literally in New York City, and I'm, I'm going to bring up this statistic again later on because it's very relevant to our conversation with the NYPD and social distancing guidelines, but 75% of New Yorkers apparently are, are of essential workers in New York City are POC. 75%. 75%. Those are the people who are going to die. Those are the people who are going to die and bring it back into their communities where those communities are going to suffer. So it's literally just our corporate overlords demanding our lives for, for the Dow Jones. I'm not even sure. I work at a finance company. I don't even know what they're going That's for. exactly what it is, corporate greed and corporate interest. We could very easily pass a bill to have universal basic income to every single person right now to make it easier to stay inside and send some rent relief. And that, that would like that would take care of things and make it a lot easier for folks to stay home and social distance. But these companies don't want us to. And Jeff Bezos right now is about to, is about to become a trillionaire because of this pandemic. And folks yeah. are mad because people that can't work right now are collecting unemployment. It's just a mess. Perfect, perfect segue into the next news roundup story, which goes right hand in hand with this. Bianca asks, are we gonna get more stimulus checks or what? And you know what? My opinion, no, girl. So the next story, the next story is the HEROES Act, which goes along with what Stanley was saying about the government's ability to help us, but their lack of wanting to help us. So five days ago, the House passed another stimulus bill called the HEROES Act, geared toward further relieving Americans and businesses in this crisis and helping to stimulate the economy. It gets its name from the $200 billion allocated for hazard pay and relief specifically to our heroes, those on the front lines facing the worst of the virus as they continue to commute, work, and serve their communities every day, predominantly POC. While some of us are getting hype because it includes another round of stimulus checks for all Americans, which I'm gonna ask Stanley to clarify, don't get gassed too quickly, okay? Because political insiders have been saying since this was proposed that there is no way this will pass the Senate. And honestly, they're looking like they're correct. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell just said in a recent statement that this bill is, quote, a seasonal catalog of left-wing oddities and an unserious effort. The White House preemptively issued a veto threat on May 15th, which is basically threatening that the president would kill the bill if it even passes the Senate and reaches his desk, describing the effort as a long-standing ideological partisan effort. So, Stanley, let's, let's keep it 100. Is this going to get to Trump's desk? Are we being optimistic? Can you tell us about a potential stimulus check? Like, what, what are the Democrats doing right now? So let me explain the HEROES bill real quick for you guys. Um, I'm gonna break it down to three parts, housing, healthcare, and cash payments. So right now, the con Congress voted on a bill that gives $150 billion for rental assistance, as well as relief for landlords. On top of that, there are strong attempts to get everyone converted and associated into some kind of Medicare, Medicare, Medicaid, Medicare, or Obamacare, and additional funding given to hospitals and direct cities and states so that they can take care of their health issues. Then on top of that, there's billions of dollars in the bill just for state and local municipality relief because even though Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump talk a good game about not wanting to do this, they're almost backed into a corner 
because most states start doing their budgets in June and every state is, is facing a major shortfall and could end up filing for bankruptcy. We're already at unemployment levels far worse than even the Great Depression. They don't really have an option. This is gonna to have to get done. Then the next thing is an additional direct cash payment of $1,200 for people all across the country still making $75,000 a year or less, and they wanna increase the amount of money from $500 to $1,000 that you can give for your kid and going up to as much as $6,000 per family, depending on how many kids you have. Along with that bill, there's $25 billion in there just to bail out the post office, which we know if they don't get some kind of money, they will not be able to function after June. And because we have an election coming up in November, and most likely we're going to have to be home and social distance still in that time too, you're going to need the post office to be open because we got to be able to vote for a presidential election, and it'll probably have to happen and vote by mail. The possibility of this bill getting passed? Well, the bill as it stands right here is absolutely not getting passed as the, as the way it stands. That's not gonna happen. And the reason why is because Republicans have enough power to make sure that they can stop like the bill from happening as is. But a lot of what you see in here is going to happen. What I expect to happen is the housing and rent relief is to get to get reduced significantly, unless Mitch McConnell can find a way to get that money going directly to corporations and like high-end landlords like banks that buy properties and rent it out and like manage it through management companies. Also, we're expecting Mitch McConnell and Republicans to push so that large corporations cannot be sued for firing people because of coronavirus or forcing them to work despite there being an outbreak. That's what Mitch McConnell wants. At the end of this, I think folks are probably gonna see another $1,200 check because that's one of the easiest things to do and Trump can take credit for it. I just received my stimulus check yesterday. It had his name on there. Mm -hmm. Like he, he wants that and he wants to do a lot more relief for corporations. So we're gonna get a mixed batch of things. Depending, like if the bill can be stronger, we can get more if we put more pressure on our legislators because at the end of the day, Senator Schumer and Nancy Pelosi have to give in to whatever the Republicans want. And if we can hold them to hold the line on a few things, the bill can be pretty decent. Word. Selena, I know you're Ms. Media Mogul. I know, and I, I just, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that because you are, you've been so factual this whole way through and you are really rocking with what the science says and what the needs of the community are. So I know you support the bill and the effort, but how do you think, do you, like, do, what do you think we can do to get that passed? Do you think it's realistic? Do you support it as it stands? We need something, right? People are suffering. Over 30 million people have filed for unemployment since 2020 began. So you have people who desperately need relief. And the fact that the elected officials in office are prioritizing corporate interests and corporate greed, once again, is showing that they are failing the American people. One thing that has to be done in this bill, because the first one, which had PPE, um, excuse me, not PPE, the, uh, the uh, Paycheck Protection Program, which was um, where the SBA allocated millions of dollars to help small businesses. What happened was you had a number of large organizations uh, apply for those loans and those federal grants, and they were granted. And when I say large organizations, I'm talking about the LA Lakers, uh, Shake Shack, um, and a number of other uh, multi-million dollar companies. They were applying for this. And as a result, black businesses, black small businesses were left out and did not get the adequate funding that they needed. 
I, I know this firsthandedly, and I also know it based on the, um, based on the reporting that we've been doing, um, you know. So I want to say that they're putting out the, you know, they're giving everyone $1,200, which is almost a slap on the face, especially for us as New Yorkers. Um, but when we look behind, like, it looks good as a bill, but it's not, they're not being intentional enough to make sure that the most vulnerable people in this crisis are being protected. Mm. Honestly, I feel like our politicians are Lucille Bluth from Arrested Development. And they're like, how much does rent cost? $10? Here's $1,200. Get out of my face. Oh, you want health care? We just gave you money. Get over it. So, I don't know. Love the Lucille I'm Bluth reference. Thank you very much for that, by the way. <laughs> Anyways, $7? Literally, though, because it, it, they're, so, they're so out of touch. Like, the people, look, look at the people putting together this bill. I mean, I know that we have some progressives in Congress, and I know that Democrats are fighting, but, like, they even had to drag moderate Democrats on this and be like, hello, can you, like, get in line with the party so that we can provide some relief? And it's just sad to hear that these very basic things that we need, i.e. a post office, rental relief for people who are going to be kicked out of their houses, like, basic money and health care, they're like, no, they're like, hands behind the back about it. I just, I don't get it. And I, I hope that you're right, Stanley. I really appreciate your analysis and explaining it for us. Um, because we need something. We need something. Yeah, um, folks want to get involved. I'll put a petition in the um in the Zoom chat as well as the Facebook Live, so folks can like there's an action just demanding that they pass a stimulus package, um, and make sure there's no cuts. So I'll add that into the chat for folks. Word. Thank you. Um, next up on the news roundup, I've saved some of the goofiest for last because I figured we need some lightheartedness before this topic, but let's get to the celebrity drama of the week, uh, starting with Lil Boosie. Um, and I'm just gonna start this segment by saying Lil Boosie advocates for raping children mm. and he effectively caused his son to be raped and there is no sugarcoating that. Um, I don't know whose mans he is, but basically he was all kinds of problematic on an Instagram live stream where he told his followers all sorts of nonsense on how he raises the boys in his family to be men. The craziest part of his rant that got the most flack was him proudly admitting that he has grown women technically rape his son and nephews in order to teach them proper sexual techniques. I have the quote here for you guys that I'm gonna read because I want Selena and Stanley's reaction to it and I really can't believe him. So the quote is, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna cuss for this one because y'all need, need to know what he's really saying. He says, I'm training these boys right. Ask any of my nephews, ask any of them, ask my son. Yeah, when they was 12, 13, they got ahead. That's how it's supposed to be. Hell yeah, I got my fucking son dick sucked. You fucking right. Yes, a grown woman, grown, super grown, checked his ass out. Checked all my nephews out, super grown. Is she grown? She checked me out. I know what the fuck she did to them. She checked me out, that bitch. I'm getting them prepared, man. He also claimed he had shown his son how to put on a condom when he was only nine or 10 years old, saying, yes, that's how I raised them. I don't care what y'all say. That's why they have iPhone 11s, so they can watch as much porn as they want. 
It's better oh. than them watching cartoons with two men's kissing. Yeah. What? Raise them different. That's just how it is. How does he still have custody of his children? So for the record, I don't have a problem with him teaching his kid how to put a condom on. We sh sexual health is important. These kids should know this. How does he... So first off, like, let's be very clear. Boozy is behaving this way because it's very obviously clearly a cycle of harm that, that didn't just start with these kids, but started with him and somebody else taught him. And it's a bigger conversation about the way we socialize boys around sex. Because you know what? I know a lot of people who lost yeah. their virginity to older women and somebody set it up for them. I know without getting too much into my own personal life, people tried to do the same thing for me when I was 10, 11 years old. Um, and thankfully I didn't get into that situation but like, it's not that strange to hear it happens. That being said, it is a serious problem. It is 100% rape. It is 100% rape. And porn is A, not only real, it is harmful and creates unrealistic and unhealthy ideas about sex. Mm. Agreed. I, I mean, you know, Stanley said it all. You know, he said it so eloquently. Um, I think it's horrific. I think, you know, I question, too, how he still has custody of his children. If he's that uh, bold to voice this on social media, I'm pretty sure the adults around him know how he is treating and raising and abusing his children. And I'm not sure why uh, child services has not already, ACS has not already been called on him. Uh, he, he, it is, it is very problematic. Um, I think that he's basically raising and cultivating his boys to become, I don't to, I, I don't want to. Yeah, I didn't want to say that because, but it's very likely that they could become sexual predators when they're exposed to so much abuse as a young age, yeah. and they're not being taught to love and to respect. They're being taught to objectify, use, and exploit women, and it, it, and that's all it is. I feel very sorry for Boosie. I think that he needs therapy. I think that he needs to take a seat, and I think that he needs. I think the mothers of those boys need to make sure they do something to uh, protect them because what he is doing is abusive. I agree. And Stan, you posted something that I really rocked with the other day and I interacted with it. Um, but I really like how this is put. Gentle reminder that rape is rape and boys can be raped. And a huge issue with the patriarchy, which is here I am plugging one of our partner shows, Let's Not Be Trash, but this is why shows like Let's Not Be Trash are so important because the patriarchy isn't just an issue about feminism and women's rights and protecting women. It's also about the extremely negative effects that patriarchy has on our men and boys. Yeah. And like, we live in a society where, yes, we're starting now to be more open about rape culture and the effects that it has on our women and girls, even with our Party Over episode talking about how women are treated um, and, and, and subject to abuse at the hands of problematic men like Boosie and probably in the future his sons. But let's talk about the patriarchal ramifications of little boys being raped they're mm. not going to know real intimacy when men are exposed to sex in this way in this extremely traumatic way they see sex as transactional as power play as harmful rather than you know just a human experience that has physical and emotional connections and consequences and i i really fear Lil Boost, like he said what is present in a lot of our communities. And thank you, Stanley, for like, you know, opening up a little bit. But 
all of us in these communities have seen that. We all know the story of boys who get taken to brothels to become men and, and dudes who brag about having an older woman, show them how it's done. Mm -hmm. But the, this is seriously harmful for our boys. And I just, I hope that this is an opportunity for black families in particular to really sit down and have that conversation as parents, but also with their children about rape and the fact that boys can be raped and the I mean, fact that boys need this training as someone who's like who's dealt with some of this as a child it's not like it's not okay it is not okay at all and it does real it does some real damage and we have some unfair and unrealistic ways of looking at boys and some real unfair ideas about what manhood is. And until we start to shift those and change those dramatically, you're gonna keep on damaging and destroying these boys. And so all we have left are just a world full of assaulters. Tim, you're mute. Mute. So we said what we needed to say. That was a hot mess. I hope y'all cancel Boosie or whatever. Speaking of hot mess, the last topic in the news roundup, just wanted to, you know, shout this out, I guess. 6 9 is unfortunately back, just to let y'all know, his new Instagram handle is I'm back and they mad. I don't know who's mad. But Selena, you want to tell us some of his goofy happenings since Stanley and I avoid him at all costs? Yeah, no, I mean, 6 9 has come back. And he continues to break records. He continues to go viral and he continues to troll. Uh, he did an Instagram live and he broke the record by getting 2 million people to ever tune in for one Instagram live. He is 100% about, he's 100% transparent about what we call snitching. Um, he says, you know, I, I snitched against a gang or an organization that was putting me in harm's way and did not care about me, that were uh, having sexual relations with the mother of his child and also kidnapped him and tried to kill him. So he feels like I did what was in my best interest and now I'm back. Honestly, if you ask me, I can see why young people, why he appeals to young people because he is, um, you know, uh, audacious, he's bold, he set his own trend, he goes against the grain. And uh, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not even too surprised. I mean, he was getting deals while he was still in prison because that whole scandal only made him even, um, even bigger, even hotter. So, I mean, I know we have to wrap this segment. If Stanley wants to chime in quickly, he can since we're a little over. I'll just ask one question that we don't have to answer. What makes you think he's safe? That's it. Valid. Oh, he, he probably, he's probably not safe. Unless he has security. Well, you think he's safe. He has security then, too. Knowing all this, Selena, keep us posted on Gen Z's problematic faith, because I am officially <laughs> very interested. Yeah. I, don't, I don't come from that culture. That's weird. I don't celebrate snitches. All right. Well, that's it for the news roundup, y'all. Thank you for tuning in, and thank you for the discussion. Very excited to get to our main topic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So bear with me, because... My information is on my computer, and my computer wasn't working, so I'm on my phone, so I'm going to have to work this. I'm going to have to try to figure out how I'm going to do this. Okay, guys. If I'm squinting, you know why. I'm going to get up close and personal. So um, let me just start here. 
Brianna Taylor and her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, were asleep in their apartment around 1 a.m. when three plainclothes officers in Louisville uh, basically bust through the door. And because Brianna and her boyfriend thought that they were uh, about to burglarize the apartment, they called 911, and then Kenneth Walker let out one shot. In return, police started firing blindly, and they killed Brianna Taylor, who was an a, a EMT unarmed worker at that time. They killed her. It hit her about eight different times. And now, Kenneth Walker, who was acting in self-defense, if you ask me, is, has been charged with the murder of a poli- uh, attempted murder of a police officer. Meanwhile, Brianna is dead. Um, but that's just one incident of what's going on since the pandemic. On top of that, that case could be juxtaposed with what happened to Ahmaud Arbery, who was running in a suburban neighborhood in Georgia uh, February 23rd when he was followed and gunned down by two white men, one who happened to be a former district uh, attorney, I believe. Now, and what happened was he ran away from them. They caught up to him. He appeared to act in a manner of self-defense, and he was shot and killed. Now, the perpetrators were not even indicted. They were not even arrested. It took months and months for this story to even build some type of buzz in the media, which resulted in people going on social media and demanding justice for Ahmaud Aubrey. But the injustices have not ended there since we have been in this pandemic. On May 6th, a a teenager, uh, Sean Reed, um, he was, who even served in the military, he served in the army. He went on a high-speed chase with police officers and, you know, he filmed everything. It was on Instagram, it was on Facebook Live. And he literally said, I'm gonna, he said, please come get me. He said, I'm gonna jump out and I'm gonna run. We see him running. We hear him be tased, and then we hear a number of bullets. They shot and killed this unarmed person. Now, they did say they found a gun at the scene of the crime, but I watched that Facebook Live tape a few times, and if you ask me, my personal opinion was he was not not dangerous. He was doing something that was dumb, which he even said on camera, but it was not dangerous, and he was shot and killed. then the police officers have the nerve and the audacity to say, oh, this is going to have to be a closed casket for this one, homie. That police officer has since uh, been suspended and reassigned. Um, but it, it, it only gets, it's only getting worse from there. Even though New York has been lucky enough not to experience any uh, traumatic killings of black and brown people in recent weeks, it feels like Stop and Frisk has been re-implemented in our communities here in New York City. Why? Because police officers are using over-aggressive tactics and strategies to so-called keep our community safe during the pandemic. So there have been a number of videos that have been viral of police officers uh, punching people, knocking people out, and supposedly in the name of the pandemic because they weren't social distancing or wearing a mask. Meanwhile, there has also been footage of white police officers literally giving out masks to white New Yorkers who were in a park who were not social distancing or, and, and putting everyone's lives in jeopardy, but they were giving them masks, whereas they come to our neighborhoods and they're knocking us out, they're, they're tasing us, and it's just complete pandemonium. So today's, on today's show, 
we really want to unpack the grievances, the trauma, uh, and the hurt and the brutality that is happening in our neighborhoods, mostly by police officers or white vigilantes. So I want to open up this conversation. I'll start with you, Tammy. What was your reaction to this recent round of egregious murders against Black bodies? So I'm going to keep it 100. Like, I saw the headlines. I saw the headlines. I saw the names. And I didn't look into it because I can't do it. Like, it's just, it's constant. And I think that when we as a community are bombarded by these cases constantly, it, it makes us numb. It makes, it, it, it normalizes the murders. So, I mean, I can't say I'm shocked. And I can't even say that I'm really surprised or, or, or anything. But I'm, I'm at a loss for words because I just, I, my number one reaction is just to think, damn, that sucks for their families. I can't imagine, like, you know, even being in the era of COVID, I was just thinking, like, damn, good luck to Ahmad. Like, good, good luck to Brianna's family planning that funeral. It's going to be horrifying. And I'm so sorry. That's, that's really it. Stanley, reaction. Stanley, you're on mute. We talked about this on the first Sunday after like COVID really hit big in New York state. In the country, we said that black and brown people were gonna suffer the hardest. So it's not necessarily a surprise. It's still painful and hurtful to see. I did not watch any of those videos. Um, I have not watched a video since Lando Castile. I just can't do it anymore. Like I'm not interested in watching black people die just so that their killers can go to court and walk home free. As far as the NYPD, when the, when the mayor, Mayor de Blasio, said that they were going to be enforcing the shut-ins and they were going to be enforcing the face mask, I knew that the folks who got hit the hardest would be black and brown people. In Brooklyn, there were 45 arrests for um, not wearing face masks and being outside after 8 p.m. Out of those 45, 40 of them were black and Latino. 40 of them. It's been so bad. Out of the 116 arrests that have happened, 90% of the people who've been arrested since the shutdown have been Black and Latino. And the NYPD's response from the commissioner was, no one's talking about racism when we're handing turkeys out to Black kids. And no one's talking about the threat that police face from Black people all the time. And then one of the members from, the, from one of the many police unions called a Latina reporter a bitch because she pointed out that there was a high volume of arrests for one particular race. You know what the mayor and the chief of police said about that? Nothing. As far as what's happening in all those other states, we know that black people are not safe, particularly in places where white people have an opportunity to be exposed to them. So I'm not surprised about it. It just hurts. I'm out of, I'm out of answers, honestly. You know, and, and before we get to um, the travesties happening, especially here in New York City, I do want to talk a little bit more about Brianna because this case happened in Kentucky and Kentucky has a stand your ground law. And it says, stand your ground says that uh, residents are allowed to use deadly force against intruders. They believe are breaking into their homes. So why in the world is Kenneth Walker charged with attempted murder for shooting a Louisville police sergeant on March 13th when he yep. literally was protecting um, his house and his girlfriend? They also have a law, but police can charge you for murder if they killed someone in the process of trying to arrest you 
or in the process of doing a crime. We've seen this happen in other parts of the country too, mostly white racist country states like Alabama, where um, four young kids robbed a bank and the police are shooting at them. One of the kids got killed by, by a police bullet and they charged the surviving person for murder, for the murder of that kid. So this is not new. And it's one of the ways they help to cover up their own malfeasance. Let's just keep it a buck. Like black people have never had the same civil liberties ever in this country, ever. And I'm not even, like even in 2020, we are not allowed to defend ourselves the same way white people are allowed to defend themselves. We cannot, like how dare we shoot at an intruder to our home in the middle of the night? Whereas if that were a white person, of course they were gonna do that because America, gun rights, duh. You know, we, we're not allowed to defend our bodies. And I really think it's because white people pretty much still own us. Like they still own our bodies. So we're not defending ourselves, we're defending their property. Oh, absolutely. And I just want to add on to, so what, what Brianna's family is fighting for now, it's uh, they want to get overturned what's called the no-knock warrants. Um, some civil rights attorneys actually call that unconstitutional, but uh, studies have shown that the number of unknocked searches have actually increased from 3,000 in 1981 to over 60,000 today. And as a result, they are resulting in unavoidable deaths, injuries, and multi-million dollar legal lawsuits, which come at a taxpayer's expense. This is one, because the thing is, we, and we're going to get to the call to action, but the thing is, we have to understand the law and we have to understand what, is, what, what these policies say so that we know what to petition for and what to fight against. This is something that is literally written in law. And I, I know that certain states have actually worked to, um, to, to get rid of the no-knock warrants and these no-knock policies because they are dangerous. And of course, they put black and brown people at risk even more. Um, I do want to just switch gears a little bit because you guys, you know, keep, uh, you guys have focused a lot on what's happening right here in our backyards. Uh, Stanley pointed to the statistics that were released specifically in the borough of Brooklyn that showed that there were 40 arrests for social distancing and 35 of them were black, four of them were Hispanic, one of them was white. Um, and it's happening in East New York, but it is not happening in uh, Park Slope. So, you know, the thing is, it does not seem to me that you guys are surprised by this level of aggression, but I mean, what should we do now? I mean, you know, I'll throw this at you first, Tammy. Should we try to reform and work within the police institution and the NYPD, or is it time to get rid of it? So this is where I'm a little bit conflicted. Um, so for those of y'all who don't know me personally, obviously a lot of you, um, I do a lot of organizing in New York City, and for the last year, my main focus has been working for the campaign for an elected civilian review board. Um, in short, I just, I'm prefacing this because it, I, I swear it comes to my point. It's basically a piece of legislation that will change the New York City Charter to replace the CCRB, which is the current body that uh, charges or investigates police officers who handle, who are guilty of misconduct, including killing Eric Garner, including um, Officer Garcia in the Lower East Side's recent misconduct, where he brutally beat a witness without a mask and threatened him just for stepping up to the situation. 
essentially this legislation changes the way that charter handles police accountability because right now it's essentially owned by the police commissioner. So I do a lot of police reform work in New York City, but I don't believe in America that that is the solution. In theory, I am someone who believes entirely in abolishing the police. Because when you think about it, the police's history was to catch runaway slaves. And in the 60s and 70s, they were charged with turning the hoses on black and brown bodies protesting for rights. So make no mistake, this institution was built against black people from the beginning. And I think that the efforts that Brianna's family are going through are valid. I think the work that I do with the ECRP campaign is very valid. And I applaud other police reform efforts that I'll shout out now. Um, Prop, um, rat release aging persons in prison, communities for police reform, and a number of other groups working on this. But do I think that it will change things? No, because ultimately, the police system in America is racist and it was built to be racist and no amount of diversity in New York City is gonna change that. Officer Garcia, who attacked Mr. Wright in the Lower East Side in Community Board 3 is a Latin man. And he still carried out his order because that's what the force expects. So do I think the police force can be reformed? No. I'm going to work on these efforts to mitigate the damage for black and brown bodies now, but ultimately we need to just chuck the whole thing in the garbage and figure out community policing or something like that. Two things before we get you in here, Stanley. Number one, Don L has chimed in via Facebook. He says policing is different by community and culture and re-education of our society is part of the solutions that we need. I absolutely agree. I'm so glad, Tammy, that you pointed out that some of the officers who were caught on camera being overly aggressive and literally assaulting civilians for not wearing masks have been uh, either either Black or Latino. Um, In fact, the officers that joked about Sean Reed's not not having an open casket were African-American. And I think that this just shows how problematic the institution of policing is in itself. Systemic racism exists within that. There was a report years ago that they were using black faces as when they did target practice. So basically, once you are in this institution, you are almost, I don't want to say brainwashed, but you are conditioned to see certain people of darker hues and more melon as a threat to society. And based on my personal experiences with black and brown police officers, some in my own family, they have developed very problematic views against their own kind. And it reminds me of the house slave versus field slave mentality. Mm. It reminds me of when you get that close to massa, all of a sudden you think that because of your proximity to that white man or that power, it makes you better than or safer. And as a result, you learn to internalize racism that is taught from the master or the white person in order to protect your own survival. So that's deep. Stanley? So a quick story. When I was in college, me and a bunch of friends were going to a Halloween party in Harlem. So Selena, you know, we went to college in Long Island and it was a gas station about um, in between the campus and the Hicksville train station. 
that like folks would take to get to the campus. We stopped by the gas station. We all had our masks. We took our mask off. We go into the store to go buy some stuff. We all were familiar with the guy that worked at the gas station because we were there all the time. He saw us. It was fine. There was a cop that was hanging out there. He took out his gun and started following us around the store. And then when we left, I remember my friend Ernest said to me, he thought we were going to rob the store. It was Halloween. So the moral of that story is like, yeah, like you said, police are conditioned to think that black people are a threat. Because even on Halloween, a day when everyone is wearing costumes and masks, where there were a whole bunch of white kids outside in costumes and masks and coming into that gas station too, we were the threat. And that brings us to my larger point. We need to abolish the police and the entire criminal and policing industrial complex. However, that is going to take a long time. Because the fact of the matter is, no matter how much I hate the police and this entire system, I understand that more than likely there's at least one person in this chat who's going to say, yeah, the police are bad, but then how do we deal with crime? And the, the real truth is we don't really have an idea of how we deal with challenges in our community without the police. We just do not. So until we can get to that point, there have to be strong reformations and attack to significantly reduce their power. And when they do something wrong, there really has to be an effort to hold them accountable. Right now in New York State, we have a mayor in New York City who has no backbone and who got elected off the fact that he has a black son and a black wife, but doesn't really give too much of a damn about black people. And in other parts of the country, part of the country they're just flat out racist. So we're going to have to fight a long fight and decolonizing the minds and destroying the power that these people have and making sure that folks like Bill de Blasio never get power because they are nothing but white people that love black pussy and hate black lives. Yep. Let me just say, in terms of like the, the topic at hand, which is the, the police brutality and social distancing efforts, um, one of the things that police reform groups are talking about is what does it look like to remove the NYPD as the main agents of enforcement? Um, I was on a call with, actually, I, I went, I'm a crazy activist. I went to the CCRB board meeting that represents Staten Island. And council member Debbie Rose talked about how, yes, the police are problematic, and yes, they're targeting black and brown bodies, but she mentioned like, you know, they're the ones carrying it out. And it's because we as a society have just conditioned that they are our protectors. And so anything that comes up like this, they have to do. Something that was said to me recently that I really want to plug here is that this is, again, coronavirus is an unprecedented situation. The police should never have been the ones in charge of enforcing a public health mandate. They are not trained for that. They are not equipped for that. And history shows that they cannot carry it out in an equal and unbiased way. Actually, history and current events shows that they cannot carry it out in that way. Yet, the city and state do not care enough about black casualties and consequences to black communities to actually look into what that looks like. So now police reform groups are starting the conversation of how do we get the NYPD out of social distancing measures? And Rachel posted in the comment, you know, Cuomo mentioned that he's calling for the NYPD to shift from making arrests with social distancing to giving out masks. 
But what does that really solve? It doesn't educate the community and it doesn't make community members accountable to following these public health guidelines. In my personal opinion, I think now is the time for city council members to get off their butts and reach out to community boards, community leaders, churches, long-standing businesses, and ask them, start a conversation, what does social distancing look like in your communities so that we can do this the right way? because there is no way the NYPD is equipped to handle this. And quite frankly, they are making a hot mess out of it as per usual. Stanley, you know, we are bringing this conversation to a close, but Tammy brought up a number of great points, which leads us to a call to action. What are the solutions? Tammy named a few already actionable steps that need to be taken specifically by uh, community board leaders and elected officials. Uh, what, is your, what, what would you say needs to be done to protect our communities, particularly in this crisis. And let me add, you know, when somebody gets shot down, God forbid, we can't just pour into the streets like we used to back, you know, a few months ago because of social distancing and because of uh, the threat of the public health crisis. So if we can't hold people accountable by doing the normal protests, what can and should be done? That's a really frustrating question, um, if I'm being honest. Because like the, really the, the solution is long-term. And we've talked about the solution for countless shows. We've had endless conversations about this. I don't know, buy a gun? Like at this point, I don't know what to tell people. You know, we have, there's policy there to hold police accountable, but it doesn't matter if elected officials aren't willing to like have some backbone to stand up against the police and stand up against white people. So replace those problematic elected officials buy a gun fuck the police i don't know anymore black people I'm well sorry. stanley i'm hold, hold on tammy hold on tammy because charlemagne the god actually put out a call to action he said it is time for black people to become registered legal uh gun owners and then on the joe buttons uh, show state of the culture they said they said very bluntly look i'd rather be alive than dead so if i have to use my firearm and i have to do some time that's better than dying is that the call to action that you think needs to be done stanley no that, like that doesn't help because like you have guns the police in, in new york the nypd new york police department literally has a machine that can weaponize sound what is your pistol going to do against that we have to dismantle the criminal police industrial complex period, full stop. We have to end policing as we know it. And yes, like, should maybe you have a gun in your own household to protect yourself from vigilante white people? Sure. But they got guns too, and they've got years of practice. But un until we dismantle this entire system, black lives will always be undervalued and highly in danger. Uh, you know, Tammy, I'm gonna throw it to you. It's a tough thing because Stanley admitted, this is long-term. But if you want to make sure you're alive tomorrow, do you think that it's time for us to become registered gun users and to protect ourselves, even if it means doing a little time? I'm so glad you said this question because yes, 
Yes, yes, yes. I advocate for every black person in America to arm themselves. And one of the things that I love the most about the Black Panther Party is they scared the piss out of white people by becoming an armed militia to protect their communities. I am a heavy gun advocate. And let me just say, shout out Pioneer Shooting Range in Mount Vernon because that's the closest one I could get to to teach myself how to shoot. And I highly suggest Americans, all Americans learn how to arm themselves, especially y'all in the South, especially y'all in the South. Thank you for that. We do have to bring this conversation to a close, but I'll just end by saying this, you know, we, these are, this is a tough conversation. You know, not only are we in an unprecedented time where 30 million people are out of work, the entire world has come to a standstill and we, we don't know this is the new norm. There is so much uncertainty about what the next month, what the next day and what the next year is going to look like. But on top of that, we're black. So what that means to the rest of the world is that we are still dangerous. Whether you have on a mask just to protect somebody from, you know, protect somebody else from your germs, you are still dangerous to, the, to, to society. Whether you are sleeping in your bed like Brianna Taylor and Kenneth Walker, who were victims of a, of a police raid at 1 a.m., and whether you are Ahmaud Arbery, who was exercising, taking a job when he was gunned down. Look, that's the reality, folks. And I don't have the solution. But I will say that based on, like Tammy said, with what we learned from the Black Panther Party, what we also learned besides being armed is it's time to center on community. It's time to, I mean, that means, you know, community policing within ourselves. That means, you know, protecting our own, making sure that we're also protecting our dollars. I think what the only way we're going to get through this, if you ask me, is with God and ourselves meaning that we can only depend on ourselves and we have, we cannot depend on anyone else to save us. Mm -hmm. And look, I have been unapologetic about being pro black in every single aspect so that, so that we have preservation and that we are still here. We need it. Like there's, there's nothing else that can be done at this time. We have to unify, we have to come together and we have to protect ourselves by any means necessary. And I'll just end by saying that um, this was a tough conversation, but it's a conversation that needs to needed to happen and that we will continue to have, especially here on Be Heard Talk. I thank everyone who has been participating. Uh, we saw all the comments on Facebook Live. Thank you so much. Thank you for those who are watching via Zoom. We appreciate your comments as well. And if you're listening via podcast, please share this, share this message. Hashtag Be Heard Talk, tag us Be Heard Talk, and please become a subscriber. Be Heard Radio on Patreon.com. That's Patreon.com/slash Be Heard Radio. Thank you, guys. Peace.